We've been learning a new response to the scripture reading, so I wanted to just go over that with you before I read the scripture. After the reading, I will say, the grass withers and the flower fades, and you respond, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's try that. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Let us listen for what God may be saying to the church today. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, this child is destined for the rising and the falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your heart, too. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. New Year's Eve, the first Sunday after Christmas, it's such a turning point. We've come through the celebrations after all the waiting of Advent. In Advent, we heard the song of Zechariah, Jesus' uncle, the father of John the Baptist, who sang out about the anticipated Messiah, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, has raised up for us a mighty savior from the house of David. Of his own son, John, Zechariah said that he would be a prophet of the Most High and give God's people knowledge of salvation. As we drew closer to Christmas, we heard the song of Mary, 
The Magnificat, it's called, because in Latin it begins with those words, the greatness of the Lord, the magnificence of God. My soul, re, re, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, Mary sang. And then after Mary's song, Christmas, arrived, and we hear the song of the angels at Christmas, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. The song of Simeon comes today. This is the fourth liturgical song of the season that is traditionally lifted up. Now, Lord, Simeon sings, you have fulfilled your promise. My own eyes have seen your salvation. Everyone is telling the story of Jesus. From their different angles and different experiences, they tell the story. Zechariah and Mary tell it as family insiders. The mom and the uncle have their angles. The heavenly angels give their perspective, a joyful and devoted one. We bless you, we adore you, the angels sing. And Simeon, a righteous and devout resident in Jerusalem, has held the baby Jesus in his own arms. I love the stories. I love the season. I love the songs. I love the lights. I love the baby Jesus, that tiny, vulnerable God who is also magnificently powerful in and through his deep and steadfast love. And now here we are, New Year's Eve at a turning point. Some years on this first Sunday after Christmas, we read the story of the slaughter of the innocents, the death of all the children under two years old living in Bethlehem as King Herod tries to stop this newborn king from growing into his destiny. All is not right with the world, and that story is one indication of it. There is war, and there are tears. There is suffering and loss. We receive bad news that turns our worlds upside down. And yet, Jesus lives. The Prince of Peace is here. The King of Kings is here. Salvation is here. This is not a single story. It's not a simple story or a simplistic one, but a living story that was told by many, experienced by many, and is still told by many even now. It can be tempting to make a complex story into a simple story, a single story in order to keep it simple. One story might be, all is well because Jesus is here. It works for some of us for a while if things are going well. We might think if I just act right, if I just believe in God enough, if I just do this or do that, then I will be blessed but every simple story has its cracks. We get the phone call. We lose a loved one. A whole community is devastated by an act of violence. We lose our bearings. We're not sure what we should do. 
or we feel a strong desire to do something that we know we should not do, to retaliate, maybe, or to self-medicate, maybe, in a way that undermines our true well-being. All is well can quickly become all is not well, nothing is well. The world is a mess. There are wars and rumors of war. We've read that scripture too, and it resonates. It can awaken fear in us and spark despair and paralysis. This too is a single story that is not the whole story. Jesus' story is not a simplistic one, not an either-or story. Christ is the magnificent, the glorious, most high God. And Christ is also a tiny human baby born into a poor family. There are clues about his poverty. He's born in a manger, for example, clue number one. The dad who raises him is a carpenter, a tradesman, clue number two. But the pigeons are also a clue. As Jews, Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to the temple to be purified and redeemed. The book of Leviticus instructs a family should bring a sheep or a goat as an offering. But if you can't afford that, scripture says, bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. And so Mary, Joseph, and Jesus show up with two pigeons. Jesus is a poor boy and a magnificent God. He is not limited by a single story about who he is. Jesus is both and. The many stories about him definitely surface patterns. Some of the same qualities show up in Zechariah's telling and Mary's telling and the angels and even Simeon's. Jesus will bring justice and freedom, mercy and grace. But Simeon gives us some information about salvation that Zechariah and Mary and even the angels don't give. Jesus will be a sign that will be opposed, Simeon says. The transformation of society will not be easy or painless. And in and through that opposition to Jesus, Simeon says, the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. The inner thoughts matter. The revealing of these inner thoughts is part of the rising and falling of the many, and exposing them is part of what Jesus does. The inner thoughts cause us to take steps to act. The inner thoughts reflect the stories that we tell ourselves. If our stories are too simple or too singular, we can limit ourselves and fail to see the fullness of the image of God in each other. There is a powerful TED talk called The Danger of a Single Story. The talk is given by a Nigerian novelist Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who describes growing up in Nigeria, in a middle-class Nigerian family with a father who was a university professor and a mother who was an administrator. As a child, she read a lot of British and American books. 
So when she started writing her own books at about age seven in pencil with crayon illustrations, she said, quote, all my characters were white and blue-eyed. They played in the snow, they ate apples, and they talked a lot about the weather. How lovely it was that the sun had come out. Now, this despite the fact that I lived in Nigeria. I had never been outside Nigeria. We didn't have snow, we ate mangoes, and we never talked about the weather because there was no need to. She had come to believe that books, literature, by definition, was about foreigners and about things that she couldn't identify with. She was vulnerable, as we all are, to the power of story, and in this case, to the power of a single story that was told over and over again until it became the norm, the standard. That is how you make a single story, she points out. You, quote, show a people as one thing, as only one thing, over and over again, and that is what they become, end quote. But that is never the whole story. Adichie grew and went to college in the U.S., and there she experienced how people reduced her to a single story, a set of stereotypes and expectations. There was a roommate who asked to hear her tribal music and was disappointed when she pulled out her Mariah Carey music. The roommate had a single story about what Adichie's life was like in Nigeria. Adichie had a writing professor who told her that her writing wasn't authentic because the characters she wrote about were too much like him. He expected them to be very much unlike him, to be others, to be different. When he could relate to them, he didn't believe they were authentically African, authentically Nigerian, and he didn't believe that she was being authentically herself. He had his single story about her, and he couldn't see the fullness of who she was. In her talk, Adichie said, quote, the single story creates stereotypes, and the problem with stereotypes is not that they are untrue, but that they are incomplete. They make one story become the only story, end quote. I used to have a single story about Christians before I became one. It kept me from becoming one, actually, because I didn't want to become that story. Although I had been raised in a Christian family, I renounced the faith as a young preteen. Later in my early 30s, I still had my single story. Christians are hypocritical and judgmental, I said. I had personally felt judged by such Christians and was offended by a type of theology that would exclude some people from the grace of God. I repeated my single story to a trusted friend who was in training at the time to become a Presbyterian pastor. God works in mysterious ways. Christians are hypocritical and judgmental, I said to my friend. 
my patient and wise friend, looked me in the eye and said, Nanette, I am Christian. And my friend was none of those things that I said that Christians were. Looking into his face, I had to see my single story fall apart and fall to the ground all around me. With his life, he was telling another story of who Christians were. How we live the story of Jesus matters. And the stories we tell about Jesus, about ourselves, about the world we live in, those matter too. Because the stories shape our responses. They shape our inner thoughts. They shape how we act and how we treat ourselves and others. With our lives, we tell the stories of who Christians are and hopefully a little bit about who Jesus is. To know Jesus means to know him in his many forms, to hear his many stories, to see him in the faces of everyone that we meet. It is an act of faith and a spiritual discipline to resist the danger of a single story, whether it's about Jesus, about ourselves, or about each other. Adichie said, quote, stories matter. Many stories matter. Stories have been used to dispossess and to malign, but stories can also be used to empower and to humanize. Stories can break the dignity of a people, but stories can also repair that dignity." End quote. As Christians, we have a calling to examine our inner thoughts and learn to recognize when we become captive to a single story. When I let go of my single story about Christians, it took me a while to enter into the Christian story myself, to become Christian, to seek to follow God in the way of Jesus. But eventually, letting go of my single story allowed my story to blossom too. And that is how single stories function. When we, keep our, when we keep others in single stories, we limit ourselves. We limit our ability to see the image of God in all of God's glory, in the faces and lives and stories of ourselves and of Jesus and of each other. The Christmas story of the birth of the vulnerable baby, the majestic God, becomes over time the story of the lifetime of Jesus and eventually the story of his death and resurrection too. It won't be all glory and joy. It is not a single story. The birth is not the whole story, but it's the beginning of the story and it sets us on a path with that majestic God who became vulnerable and came to dwell with us in human flesh and to teach us how to follow God. So let us sing with Zechariah and with Mary and with the angels and with Simeon and even with the shepherds and the three magi and the prophet Anna and with everyone and anyone who has ever told a story about Jesus, today we sing of his humble birth as a poor boy. But he 
is so much more than that. Amen.